electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, stocks pulling back from record highs as we gear up for earnings. The big banks kick things off tomorrow. Will this be a major moment of truth for the rally? We've got your setup straight ahead. Plus, Delta takes flight as the company sees a big return to the friendly skies. So should you get in and on board with the airlines? And later, we spot an out-of-this-world trade today in the options market, what it is and why it shows the sky's the limit in Wall Street's new space race. But we start off with breaking news out of Washington. We are getting our first look inside President-elect Joe Biden's new economic plan. Let's get straight to Kayla Tausche live in Washington with the details. Kayla. Melissa, the Biden administration is unveiling a $1.9 trillion economic proposal that will serve as the opening point for negotiations with Congress for a first stage rescue package as it tries to grapple with both the economic crisis and the pandemic during the first weeks in office. The program is divided into three specific pillars, so to speak. The first is dealing with the pandemic specifically and containing COVID-19. The second is direct aid to individuals and families. And the third is aid to state and local governments and businesses. And we'll run through exactly what's in each of these uh, right now. Let's start with the pandemic pillar, which itself is about $400 billion. There's $160 billion uh, for a national vaccine program. $20 billion of that will be partnerships with states. $50 billion will go to expanding national testing. $30 billion for additional supplies and PPE for frontline workers. And $170 billion for schools, both K-12 through and higher education, to open them and keep them open. And senior Biden administration officials say they're still confident that they can vaccinate 100 million Americans in 100 days. And those officials say that uh, that key point about opening schools uh, will be critical to getting women back into the workforce. As for the second pillar, $1 trillion in direct aid to individuals through several different programs. First, another $1,400 per person check. That's on top of the $600 checks authorized in December. An increase of weekly federal employment benefits to $400 a week that would go until the end of September. $30 billion in rental assistance and extending the eviction ban through September. Increasing earned in income and child care tax credits and also raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That last point is interesting because it is something that has been in the president-elect's policy platform, uh, but it is likely to get shelved if this specific package is going to be a bipartisan effort with bipartisan support. Finally, the Biden team is proposing $350 billion for state and local governments, $20 billion for public transit, and a $50 billion increase to small business disaster grant and loan programs. So certainly, Melissa, 
those are the high level issues and those are the price tags associated with them. There is a lot more that is going to be in this package. And when the president-elect speaks tonight, he's not only going to be addressing this first stage rescue effort, he's also going to be talking about a broader, more comprehensive economic plan to come at some point later on this year. Today, officials told reporters about that September uh, deadline that's set for a lot of the programs in this proposal. They were asked whether they believe that September, the end of Q3, is when the pandemic will finally be over and life will go back to normal. And they said not necessarily, but they believe that Americans and the economy will at least need a bridge until then. Melissa? Kayla, thank you. Kayla Tauschen. I think what Kayla said in terms of this being the first part uh, of an economic plan of the Biden administration is key. We saw the reaction immediately in the market today, Guy Dami. We saw the dollar weaken. We saw yields go higher. Um, so what's the next step here? I think that's going to continue, Melissa. I think the dollar is going to continue to weaken. If you look over the last six months, every rally in the dollar has been basically uh, less and less severe, significant, whatever adjective you want to throw on the back of it. It says to me that although the consensus trade is lower, the consensus is going to be right. We've talked about this. City put a note out a couple months ago saying they saw 20 percent downside in the U.S. dollar this year. I agree with that. I think that's going to lend itself to the resource trades that Tim and I and a bunch of people have talked about. Quickly, if you're looking for an individual stock, I know another one we've talked about since the spring when it was around 132 has been Caterpillar. They report at the end of the month. I think the stock made an all-time high yesterday or the day before, but I'm pretty sure we're right there now. I think earnings are going to be great. Valuation is reasonable. That was the poster child for global growth five years ago. It's becoming one again. So that's the name I think you want to continue to watch in earnings at the end of the month. Well, Kayla, run through means potentially a lot of money into consumers' pockets, Karen. And I'm wondering how you think about that and if that's already reflected in the stocks. I do think it's reflected. It's reflected in the market, right? We've mm -hmm. seen the yields move on the expectation of uh, the additional stimulus. We saw that pickup steam when Georgia went all blue. So um, I think that that's in there. But I look at something like a footlocker, a Nike, which were huge beneficiaries of that extra few hundred dollars in consumers' pockets. They're pretty expensive now. So I think the, the easier money has been made and that retail run-up has been huge. Um, so I'm not sure exactly if there's a, I, I don't know at the moment, I don't see a real bargain where, oh, they're going to go here and it's not yet priced in. I don't have an idea for that. Right. And we don't have a lot of the details and some details will come forth tonight uh, when President-elect Biden addresses the nation. Dan, when you listen to that address, what, what will you be listening for specifically? Yeah. I think the most important thing, not the numbers, we know that that uh, 1.9 number is not going to be the final 1.9 trillion. It, you know, it's going to be something different. I think the speed and the way that they execute the vaccination is going to be the most important thing for this economy reopening. I know that if you look at the Russell 2000 closing up 2% today, up 40-some percent from the election on November 3rd, right? And you look at, Karen just mentioned retail. I know Tim has been all over this. Look at that XRT. It broke out at 53 and has not looked back. Closed up 3% today. I think those are both incorporating a lot of good news about the pace of us reaching herd immunity at some point. I think Kayla just said it. Expectations are in late Q2, early Q3. It doesn't seem likely at this pace. I heard Jim Cramer this morning on 
squawk on the street talking about his experience getting that vaccination. It looks like it's going at a snail's pace here. So we've got to speed that up. That's the most important thing to me right now. Yeah, Tim, how about you? Because I noticed in today's session, at least, you know, the solar stocks continued their run. Uh, and that was a group that really benefited from this notion of a Biden administration for one and two, a blue wave. Anything EV and mm-hmm. anything that I think is, is going to be supportive to the consumer is done well. But I think there's been a lot priced in. But I, I and in fact, we've, we've talked about the maybe the irony is that the energy sector is the one that's got the, the greater legs, especially when you consider the the allocation towards a lot of the infrastructure that's been designed here. And we've talked about the dollar weakness. Uh, I also think we're going to talk a little bit about Delta earnings with Phil LeBeau. So I'll save that story. But I think parts of the reopening trade are the more interesting ones. Yes, the XRT uh, up another 3% today has outperformed the S&P by 30% since we knew the election outcome uh, in November. Therefore, I think the expectation was this was coming. I think Karen has alluded to that as well. Um, The trades to me that, that continue to make more sense are the ones where you have some semblance of value left. I don't think discretionary retail is all that attractive here, but I do think that uh, a Walmart uh, or some of the other big box stores, which I believe are re-rating on more of an e-commerce multiple, are are ways to play that. Otherwise, I I think you stay with weaker dollar trades, which continue to be emerging markets. Look at that breakout today by Taiwan Semi. Look at Alibaba coming back. Uh, And I think some of those global trades are really the bigger story here, despite a domestic focus right now. Guy, I know you were listening to Jay Powell this afternoon. As you, as you always Intently. do when, when he is speaking. Um, but he made some very bullish comments in terms of you know, his expectations of when the economy could actually bounce back and his expectation that rates will remain low for a very long time, that they are nowhere near their goal. It may seem like two incongruous statements, but the bottom line here is that it sounds like he thinks the economy could bounce back. We've got this perhaps bigger than expected stimulus package on the way to consumers and rates are going to stay low for a very long time. Isn't that just the cocktail uh, for a market rally to continue? Yeah, I expect the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup this year. I expect to win either Powerball or uh, the other one, whatever they call it, over the, over the next couple of days. Neither one of those things is probably going to happen. And, and respectfully to Chairman Powell, you know, the, 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 the portrait that he is attempting to paint is not going to happen either. Historically, not just him, but the, uh, all these Fed officials are horrible in terms of forecasting. I don't think he's going to be any different. Uh, you know my view on the Fed. I'm sure Steve Leisman is watching, cringing right now. He knows my views as well. What I will say is, um, at a certain point, the continued weakness in the dollar is going to be felt by the U.S. consumer. That, my friends, is extraordinarily inflationary. And, oh, by the way, rates rising on the back of it or in, in accord with it or in some sort of parallel world, that's not particularly bullish Either So just get ready. Uh, the Fed seems to think they can stick this landing like Kerry Strug. They might be carried off by Bella Caroli. <laughs> so many metaphors in that, oh, in that nice. commentary. Wow. Um, our next You're guest welcome. warns Biden's new economic plan will put pressure on one of Wall Street's hottest trades. Let's bring in B of A's Savita Subramanian. She says it's time to dump tech by industrials on the back of the Democratic sweep. Savita, great to have you with us. Is this on the notion that there's going to be a lot more fiscal uh, stimulus, more spending? Yeah, I I mean, I think really what we're forecasting is something different from what's happened over the last 12 months. And I mean, it's been really interesting listening to your comments over the last few minutes, because I think 
everything is spot on. We've got potential threats of inflationary pressure. We've got the idea that interest rates can actually move higher rather than grind lower, which is what we've seen over the last 10 years. So we've got this Petri dish where everything that was good for tech and for secular growth is starting to change. Now, what I think is really interesting is the only thing that hasn't changed over the last 12 months, we have a new administration, we have a reopening, we have a vaccine. We have a whole bunch of changes in the macro landscape, but investor positioning has not changed at all. And that's what I find so remarkable is that there is this really embedded tilt towards growthier tech companies, towards communication services stocks, still big overweight and fang stocks. So I think that there is this reluctance amongst investors to acknowledge that 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 we are setting ourselves up for a very different looking year. Um, so, you know, I think all of that paints a picture that could be very interesting and could also be painful for institutional investors. So here we are, you know, we're looking at an environment where the leadership over the last 10 plus years are threatened by a lot of um, a lot of major and significant breaks in trend, like rates, like the dollar. A weaker dollar would benefit, um, you know, energy, which is a sector that has really been in the doldrums for a very long time. So I think there are a lot of cross currents here. But but what what's remarkable to me is the embedded investor positioning in growth, tech, secular growth, and more of a defensive bias. Savita, thanks for coming on. Do you have in your model anywhere an infrastructure plan and what size if you do? You know, it's so it's probably a little too soon to say, but but the way we adjusted our model to accommodate the idea of more infrastructure is the idea that the probability of an infrastructure bill went from zero to positive with uh, with the outcome of Georgia, because under under gridlock, we thought the stimulus bill, uh, you know, an infrastructure bill in particular was a non-starter. But under a more coordinated government, uh, we think that infrastructure spend is more likely. On top of that, you've got sectors like, you know, I mean, I think somebody mentioned Caterpillar earlier, but you've got these industrial bellwether canary uh, stocks starting to uh, outperform the market again. And I think what that tells you is that even without an infrastructure bill, we could see just pent up manufacturing um, uh, spend. And you know, what I think is the reason we upgraded industrials rather than other cyclical areas of the market is I feel like 2020, even though it was a year of lockdown, global recession, you know, horrific growth, we actually didn't really see a big stall in consumer spending. We saw consumption actually surprise to the upside, despite the fact that we were in a, in a recession. But where we did see a complete paralysis was in the manufacturing sector. So I think those are the areas where even without infrastructure spending, we could see um, you know, a little bit of a rising from the ashes in, in that, manufacturing, uh, you know, that, that manufacturing component of the economy. Hey, Savita, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us as always. So your tech bleed story, uh, something like Facebook today looks like it's more than a nick. In fact, this really looks like, you know, it broke the 100, excuse me, the 200 day for the first time since the way down through the, the, the beginning of COVID. And we're certainly seeing that in other parts of social media. I think we all know why. But could you see more of a barbell approach within tech? Semis uh, made new highs today at, at a time when some of these trends that you're talking about for tech, though, are, are, are certainly front and center. And yet here we go yeah. there. So uh, I understand where the Zoom trades are and some of these high multiple ones, but it does seem like tech's got a little bit of everything in there. 
has a little bit of everything. I totally agree with you. If you're going to be in tech, and, and you have to be in tech because it's such a big sector, go for the GDP-sensitive kind of unit volume uh, sales growth plays like semiconductors. But, um, you know, I don't think that's enough to keep the sector overall outperforming the market. So if you're looking at this on an industry-by-industry basis, I love the idea of semiconductors and some of the more GDP-sensitive, even IT services coming back to life. But the overall sector, I think you've got too much of a growth tilt for it to actually outperform the market. Savita, tonight, if you hear President-elect Biden talk about much bigger spending than you had anticipated yourself, in coming yeah. up with your S&P targets, et cetera. Does that change anything? Does that change? Um, does that the, get us more bullish? Does it get you more bullish? Does it does it hasten that rotation away from technology, for instance? I mean, how does it affect it does. your forecast? You know what? I think everything that we're hearing suggests to me that the economy is going to be great. But does that mean the stock market is going to continue to clip the same gains that we've seen over the last 10 years? I mean, I think here's what's interesting. The economy and the market have totally decoupled. So I think this is going to be a great year for the economy. And if Biden tells me that he's spending more than what I expected, that's even better for the economy. But whether that translates into the S&P you know, running at that same hot level, I don't think so. I think there are a lot more interesting places to be right now, like small caps, like value over growth, Mm -hmm. which is a very small part of the S&P 500. So one of the reasons we're not that excited about the S&P is that it just doesn't have the stuff that's tied to this economic recovery that we're seeing very strong signs of, as well as this inflationary uh, aspect that we're seeing building. Savita, great to see you. Thank you. Great to... Great to be on. Thanks. Savita Subramanian, B of A. Um, we're going to hear Biden tonight ahead of bank earnings season. And so I'm wondering, um, Dan Nathan, if that influences how you view those earnings. If he says, I'm going to spend much more money than you all think, <laughs> should we expect yields to go higher and that bank trade to look even better? Yeah, and, and listen, these guys, Tim, Karen, Guy, they've been all over that much more than, than, than my inclination over the last few months. But I'll just say this, you know, about that spend that you're talking about, Mel, if we see a lot of money go to people's bank accounts that don't need it, like we saw last year, we saw the savings rate in this U.S. move up a bit. And where did a lot of that money go into? It went into some of those very speculative areas in technology with high valuations that are very stretched right now that Savita's talking about. So when we talk about this disconnect between the market and the economy and we talk about this never-ending push for fiscal stimulus and obviously really easy monetary policy that's how asset bubbles just inflate and inflate and ultimately they will pop when you think about how much was thrown at the economy and what that actually meant for the financial markets, some point the chickens have to come home to roost. I'm not saying that it ends today, tomorrow, that sort of thing. Bubbles can inflate for an awful long time, but if we see hundreds of billions of dollars go to people who don't need it and have no other place to put it other than in the stock market, beware, because you know what they're going for. They're not going for the banks and the industrials and that sort of thing. They're going for the stuff that they think is going to move. Yeah. Um, Tim, just quickly, though, JPM, Citi, Wells Fargo, all report tomorrow. What will you be listening for on that conference, on those conference calls? 
Well, I, I think also, you know, provisions coming off is maybe the, the biggest expectation and the driver that could surprise once again, because I don't think that the fourth quarter numbers in terms of their earnings are going to be that extraordinary for the money center banks outside of capital markets uh, and investment banking and, and, and sales and trading. So FIC could be very, very strong. But the, the, the net interest margin uh, benefits expectations off of a steeper yield curve don't happen uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, also, let, let's be clear. Uh, I'm long Citibank. I'm long J.P. Morgan and Bank of America. Citibank's up 65 percent since November. It's very hard for me to see uh, them announce anything tomorrow that's going to get you overly worked up. But I think the story on the banks and, and certainly uh, getting some insight into the health of the broader economy, we'll all be listening for that. I think regional banks have less of a story to tell uh, in banks' earnings than the money center banks, which I, I think have a couple levers to pull. But remember, markets have priced in some of those levers. Yep. Coming up, looking posh. Poshmark more than doubling in its debut. Is this the new Vogue trade on Wall Street or are things about to fall out of fashion? And later, Taco Bell goes beyond the burrito, the new menu item that's serving up some beefy gains for one food stock. We got the details in Fast Money Returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Poshmark more than doubling in its public debut. The online clothing reseller priced its IPO at 42 bucks a share, closing out the day at 10150, and that is a 141% gain. Uh, not too many comps in the public market, Karen. There is the real real though, and you've uh, done some work on, on these two. Yeah, I was just uh, highlighting the difference between the valuation of the real real, which is about I don't know, maybe a third of Poshmark. Now, I understand they're not exactly the same business. And Poshmark, to its credit, they did make money, which RealReal doesn't. But they, and RealReal has been uh, hindered by COVID. Poshmark has been helped by COVID. But that differential to me just seems so extreme. I mean, I compared it. It's not apples to apples, but it's not apples to fiber cereal. It's, you know, they're kind of in very similar businesses. So I'm long RealReal. I actually bought some more today. Um, Poshmark, great for them. I just, I don't know. I think it's a little bit rich. Uh, uh, this is supposedly the trend um, in, in retail these days. Uh, I, I don't know, Tim, if you've uh, offloaded some extra suede vests on Poshmark or the real real. <laughs> um, but that could be a good way for you to get rid of some of your 80s closet, for instance. Um, how do you, yeah, what, what does this mean? What does this all mean, Dan Nathan? Whether or not you want to comment on this reselling trend or just the appetite for new issuances here in the market at this time. Yeah, well, I think Tim, pre-pandemic, did coin the phrase new retail, talking about Etsy when it was a fraction of where it was. So, so kudos to him on that. Um, listen, I, I think it's really interesting what we're seeing, and we do this every night on the show with new, whether they be SPAC mergers with new companies, private companies coming public, or just new traditional IPOs like this. It's having us reflect on some of the things that have already been public and longstanding businesses for a long time. We were talking about it earlier. Just look at the two-day performance in a firm after its IPO pop. And look at today, look at how poorly Visa down almost 4% today and MasterCard down 5% 
acted in this market. So we're seeing crazy out, uh, demand and crazy valuations and crazy price performance in some of the stuff that's newly issued. And then we're seeing it really actually have an effect on investors' mindsets as it relates to some kind of longstanding business. So to me, that's a trend that will reverse very quickly sometime soon because these valuations are not making a whole heck of a lot of sense. I think the divergences between the SPAC companies that go public in an industry versus the companies that are already public in the industry is very interesting. Karen highlighted that yesterday when we were having a discussion about, or maybe it was the day before, about GM. Um, and if GM were to merge with the SPAC today, what kind of valuation it would get, especially for its EV business guy, <laughs> compared to um, what it is getting today. I mean, it's an interesting sort of mental exercise to run through you know, a firm versus square, GM versus, uh, you know, I don't know what, QuantumScape or whatever EV-related SPAC you want to pick out. Yeah, I thought it was a fascinating point by Karen, one that clearly I hadn't thought of, but for obvious reasons, she's far brighter than I. But I will say that, you know, you start doing the math on these things in terms of GM, and Tim's pointed out a number of times where it makes sense just in terms of valuation. Quickly, I have a PSA, sort of a more you know for you folks out there, uh, if you ever buy a Chanel bag, bust out retail again, you're foolish. Just go to the real real because you will find wonderful bags uh, slightly used for a fraction of the price. And that is a more you know. He is not a paid spokesperson. He does not get any compensation or anything no, credit on the site or anything like that. He just no, goes on the site and buys himself. Um, just FYI. We got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money Shopping Tips, perhaps. So here's what's coming up next. A year of recovery. That's what's in store for the beaten down airline industry in 2021. What Delta CEO expects that will mean for his company. Plus, does a blue wave mean big green for cannabis stocks? The CEO of Crisco Labs and why his company is riding high on the new administration. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back to Fast Money. Airline stocks taking flight today. And check out the move in Delta, the stock climbing 2.5% on the back of earnings. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with all the details. Phil. Uh, Melissa, we say this all the time. It's not what you did last quarter. It's what the outlook is for the next several quarters. And in the case of Delta, yes, they did report a loss of $2.53 in the fourth quarter, but that wasn't a surprise to everybody. Everybody knows that it's all about the outlook. And when you look at the outlook, it comes down to cash burn. Where are they at in the first quarter? The expectation is that they will be losing between 10 and $15 million a day. But by the summer or fall, maybe even by the end of the spring, they expect to be cash flow positive. And then demand returns as the economy opens, provided we start to see an increase in the number of people who receive a vaccination here in the U.S. We really, really need uh, the vaccine development to move at a much faster pace for us to hit the recovery targets we all want to see. Ed Bastian this morning on Squawk Box talking about the outlook. This is where we're at in terms of passenger traffic. We're down anywhere between 
60 and 70 percent, depending on the day. And we know that the first quarter is going to be brutal. Meanwhile, as you take a look at the airline stocks, all of them out either yesterday or today, including Delta, saying, look, we are enhancing our security when it comes to flights, specifically those flights to Washington, D.C., at least through the inauguration. It's all part of their effort to beef up security, to deal with unruly passengers. And that is going to be the plan for the FAA. Here is the head of the FAA talking to us about dealing with these passengers who act up. This is about uh, flight safety. And, uh, and any time I see, any time we see uh, a trend like this, we need to take action because uh, traveling on a commercial airline in the United States is, is the safest form of travel in human history. And I want to make sure it stays that way. There are now three airlines, Alaska, United, and Delta, who are telling their, their customers, you can no longer check a firearm in your luggage as it goes to Washington, D.C., For now, that has been suspended. Only law enforcement can check a firearm. And remember, this is something that we're going to see going on for the next several weeks, Melissa. Don't be surprised to see more announcements similar to this from other airlines as well. I I mean, call me naive. I didn't realize that you could check a firearm into luggage to go anywhere. Um, So that's sort of shocking. And I guess it's comforting that they've provided you follow you follow the safety requirements. You can. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Phil, I'm curious because um, Bastian talked a lot about vaccinations and vaccines being the key. Is testing a component of this? Do the airlines believe that mandatory testing for all flights, not just international, is key? Absolutely. And contact tracing. Mm -hmm. And Delta has announced a couple of programs there, at least in terms of the testing with uh, regard to international flights for Rome and Amsterdam. They also want to see more contact tracing. All of the airlines believe that if there is more testing and more passengers who have to say, look, I can show you that I have a negative test or I have been vaccinated, that will open up the economy and get more people flying much quicker. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. All the airlines um, traded higher today. Tim, are they still inexpensive? Are they fairly bad? Where are we in terms of where the airlines are in terms of price and what the outlook is? No, they're, they're not inexpensive. And, and if you think about, again, on normalized earnings and, and where we're back to, you know, Delta is probably now trading back to almost 85 percent of, of, of earnings. And, I, I'm, you know, they're not they're not getting there in, in 2022 based upon the forecast for international travel. A lot of this has been leisure. A lot of this has been uh, some of, of, you know, leveraging off of some of the regional hubs and efficiencies, frankly. Uh, but, but let's be clear on the airline trade. Uh, this is a case where uh, Delta is now essentially half the cash burn, around $12 million a day than they were in the third quarter. The story about profitability and free cash flow as we get into the summer uh, is very bullish. And I think if you look at the charts, that 42.95 December 3rd high is something that this stock's probably going to challenge and break through in, in the next week especially in the absence of, of really any other headwinds from the virus. But if we continue to get good news here, um, I, I think airlines can trade to a point. But I, at some point here, expecting us to get back to those old levels, a lot of investors think about things that way. Uh, Karen talks about this all the time. Um, you shouldn't be playing just to get back to those levels so you can get out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at some point we have to look at valuations in airlines and say uh, that they are going to be different for the foreseeable future. But I stay in the Delta trade for here. So given that, Karen, are they uh, overvalued right now? Mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, kudos to Tim. He caught the ride up. I I mean, so I was looking at Delta today. It's only 8% lower. This is enterprise value. So this includes debt. 
It's only 8% lower than where it was in December 31st of 2019. And if you think about how much the business has changed, to me, 8% discount, given where we are, they have doubled their debt, they have tripled their interest expense, they did everything right, right? Okay, they had, this happened, it was well beyond anyone's control. They've done a masterful job, but in terms of valuations, the next few years of the business are nowhere near what they looked like in December of 2019. So to me, an 8% discount is not nearly enough. Too many investors are just ignoring the debt. They say, oh, debt's cheap. Delta's debt isn't cheap. They have some paper, it's like 7.5%. That's not so cheap. So I don't get it. Um, I, I see the momentum of it, but for me to look at I look at enterprise value, I, I don't get it here. Coming up, space stocks heading to the moon. We'll tell you the big headline that sent these names into another galaxy. But first, new fallout from the social media crackdown on President Trump. What Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey said that should get the attention of every social media investor. We'll bring it to you in Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter shares falling again today. The company's CEO, Jack Dorsey, taking it to Twitter to defend his company's decision to permanently ban President Trump from the platform. <clears throat> Excuse me. While, the, while at the same time warning the move sets a dangerous precedent, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat and YouTube have all taken down President Trump's accounts following last week's deadly violence on Capitol Hill. Um, it almost seemed like an admission, uh, Dan, that this, this, this sector deserves some sort of regulation that this can't be, that a handful of, of tech CEOs on the West Coast are the arbiters of truth effectively on all of these platforms. Yeah, I think Jack has made it very clear over the last four or five years that he doesn't really want to be the arbiter of that. And, you know, after the wake of the 2016 election, there were even, you know, calls for saying, OK, come regulate us, figure out how to do it. And no one's really done that. Obviously, um, you know, Washington has not been able to figure that out. I think what Twitter has done is very different um, than the way that Facebook has approached it. I know Guy has a lot of feelings on that. I give Jack credit for trying to do it right. I think what he's telling us is that there was no right answer answer here. But because things had gotten so dire, they had to make a move. It's not too different than in trading or investing. When things get really bad, sometimes the best thing to do is just move your feet a little bit. But I think what he's saying now is that this one is going to have this move is going to have major reverberations. And now we really are going to have to see how Silicon Valley and Washington attack this approach together going forward in a bipartisan manner. Guy, you're watching Facebook today. You have to be. And we've talked about it. And please don't at me. But since making an all time high back in September, you know, look at what Facebook's done. This is the lowest level we've seen now since mid-September, 245. I'll say this. They report at the end of the month. I guarantee. Well, I shouldn't guarantee anything. The report's probably going to be ridiculously strong and the stock will probably rally. But Facebook has managed to do something that I only thought I could do. And that's to infuriate everybody. And that's effectively what's going on now. And again, if they fall under the auspices of ESG investing at some point this year, in my opinion, that's the existential risk and one they have zero control over. So just keep an eye on Facebook over the next couple of weeks. You know, I said this earlier with Tim on a different call. I think this earnings release and subsequent the way it trades is going to be as fascinating report as we've seen in the last decade. I think the conference call is going to be a very fascinating conference call, Karen. I mean, I can't imagine the types of questions they are going to get about regulation and about Facebook's role in any of this and the response that it has um, gone so far. Sheryl Sandberg has, has come out and been very vocal about saying that she does not believe that Facebook really had any role or was not a platform where any of these 
riots plans were hatched. Uh huh. Um, okay. I, I, I mean, she's always the defender of Facebook. So, and I'm long Facebook, but you know, people will will not really believe that. Honestly, I would like to buy more Facebook here. Honestly, I'm waiting six days to do that. I did some option spreads. We put up a very little amount of premium. You know exactly what you can risk. I'd like to buy more here because I agree agree with Guy that I think the earnings will be very strong, but. I think it's not, it wouldn't be so shocking to see some draconian kind of, I don't know what, come from President Trump uh, before Wednesday. So I think it's not really waiting a few weeks. I think it's literally waiting until 12 noon Wednesday to see if the, if the landscape has changed that much. All right. Coming up at the big green in the blue wave. Cannabis stocks have been on fire since the election. Up next, you will hear from one key player in the space. The CEO of Fresco Labs will join us straight ahead. And later, Taco Bell's cooking up some new menu items that go beyond their beefed up offerings. We'll bring you all the juicy details from Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pot stocks have been on fire. Just look at what they've done since the Georgia Senate runoff election. Names like Trulieve, Cureleaf, Green Thumb Industries, all up more than 20 percent. And check out Cresco Labs. That stock is up more than 35 percent in just the past month. Joining us now in a Fast Money exclusive is Charles Bactel, the CEO of Cresco Labs. Charlie, great to see you. Well, thank you for having me. Good to be here. Um, with uh, the Dems controlling both houses, what changes for the industry exactly? You know, I, I think what it what it provides is a, a a pretty clear path forward for a more progressive approach to cannabis. Uh, there's a couple of different directions that it could go. You know, there's there's definitely banking reform that is anticipated to be in the near future. But as it as it comes to a broadening of the the, the legalization and approach to cannabis across the country, there's a path forward with the uh, Democratic executive branch and, and now with control of the Senate as well. Do you think that the run um, that these stocks have seen that we highlighted? Prior to introducing you, Charlie, is that sort of the foregone conclusion that there will be more access to the capital markets for the industry because of a Democratic Senate and House? Is that what the stocks are telling us, do you think? Yeah, I, I think what you're seeing here is is uh, the acceptability and the, the, the public uh, sort of perception on cannabis has changed dramatically in the last decade. And what you have is you have a U.S. Uh, industry that is developed with very professional, very robust, capable uh, organizations that are executing at a great level, that are building phenomenal businesses with phenomenal teams that are employing, uh, at this point, over 300,000 employees in the sector across the country, generating billions of dollars in revenue. And it's still federally illegal. It's unbanked to a great extent. And it doesn't have access to traditional institutional capital or even really the U.S. retail investor. So it, 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 there, there's a disconnect here in the, in the, the value of the, the, the industry that has developed here on U.S. soil and the acceptability and access that is provided to the banking industry. So I, I, we, we do think that's one of the first things that's going to change with the new administration. Hey, Charlie, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. And, and congrats on the deal in Florida with Bluma, one, Bluma Wellness, one plant. And, and, and again, you know, part of the acquisition there, I believe this is a high quality brand. And, you know, we talk about the CPG dynamic of the cannabis industry. Is that the next wave of re-rating? I mean, a company like yours, you know, in Chicago, you sit right down there on Maine and Maine in the, in the heart of, of kind of the, 
uh, you know, the, the work district between a Starbucks and a T-Mobile. And people are just walking past these stores that are this new consumer class for cannabis that didn't exist. And, and I'm not sure that the multiples even begin to reflect that. Can you speak to that evolution of the industry? Yeah, and you know, I, I appreciate that. I think what you're seeing here is a, is a fairly unique story being told of uh, of growth with profitability and value. It's 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 a great dynamic, um, and it is. It's the maturation of this industry. It's it's operators like Cresco Labs that have been doing this now for seven years that got into the industry with an eye towards creating the next consumer packaged good space, and uh, and and now seven years in, you're starting to see the maturity of these, of these organizations and these marketplaces meet this new consumer where the consumer wants to be met you know so you know whether they're trying it for the first time or the first time in a long time they're getting that consumer experience that they would expect from traditional retail and traditional cpg professional looking brands professional looking packages uh you know very bright open uh retail locations as you mentioned next to a starbucks you know so the the industry is actually meeting this new consumer base where the consumer base wants to be met just quickly, Charlie, if you do get access uh, to the capital markets, how does that change your strategy? Do you foresee more acquisitions, for instance? Do you think smaller brands, well, you'll make a lot more acquisitions of, of smaller sort of brands to, to bolster your presence in, in the top 10 states, let's say? You know, I think it could be a mix of organic growth and acquisitions. First and foremost, it brings down cost of capital. Mm -hmm. It gives you access to the level of capital that's really needed um, to build out the infrastructure to build what's anticipated to be a hundred billion dollar industry in this country. And so that it'll allow us as, as Cresco Labs to just really move forward with the the business model that we've all we've had since day one, which is to create the most strategic geographic footprint we can create, get meaningful material positions in each of those markets, and doing it by focusing on those middle two verticals of the value chain, which is branded products and the distribution of those products. So it'll just help us accelerate the growth of the organization and the growth of the industry. Charlie, great to see you. Thanks Keep for us having posted me. posted on everything. Charlie Bactel of Presco Labs. Uh, Tim Seymour, we were talking about banking. Is that a slam dunk? Is it, is it now a, a clear path to that with, with the democratically controlled yes. House and Senate? It is? Okay. It is. And, and, you know, again, like I'm long Cresco and I'm, I'm long a lot of the names that we've talked about in the last week. Uh, a billion dollars of equity has been raised in this industry. Uh, Terrasen with a great raise. Cureleaf with a big raise. Columbia Care with big raises. No equity attachments, uh, not major discounts. Growth industry raising growth capital. And the companies were, re were rewarded by the market for that. They traded higher in the face of that. So, again, capital markets are coming. Uh, and I, I do think this is part of the move higher. But, again, it's companies like Cresco that are executing in this major, major growth industry. All right. Coming up. The out-of-this-world trade we spotted today in the options market. Why traders see this name headed to the moon. And don't miss this gem of an interview. Kramer's chatting with the Signet Jewelers CEO. Be sure to catch it coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. In the meantime, much more fast right after this. Beyond me, topping the tape today, Taco Bell announcing it is partnering with a plant-based food maker to create a new product. Sounds delicious. Um, Beyond Meat shares up 14%. Tim Seymour, can you get on board this trade yet? I, I, I don't know why I'd jump on now. I mean, I, I believe in the plant-based food dynamic. You know I'm a big consumer of Oatly. 
But uh, I, I don't see the competitive landscape getting easier. It gets a lot harder. The dynamics of stay-at-home versus restaurants, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, some of the biggest food companies in the world. But more importantly, the brands themselves are doing this internally. Look at McDonald's. Uh, look at some of the biggest uh, early advocates of, of Beyond Meat. So, no, you're fading any strength here. Taco Bell, by the way, also bringing back its popular potato products to its menu. Apparently, they're very popular. Um, okay, time for the final tray. Let's go around the horn. Guy, I mentioned that for you. <laughs> you know what that does to my constitution? Uh, I won't get into it. Uh, yeah. SPR. SPR. Karen. Yeah, trying to find value among the froth. I found Dan's Viacom CBS, which I own from Hire. Dan. Yeah, semis. I think it's probably as good as it gets for a little bit. I'd be selling the SMH. Tim. We talk about Walmart and some of these companies that are re-rating on, you know, .com or e-commerce multiples specifically. So Walmart to me is another one of those names. Go Rangers over the Islanders tonight. Now money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager.